0: For free training on how to publish a book that sells 10,000 copies, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash free training. What's up, everybody? Chandler Bolt here, and joining me today is Ryan Dice. So if you haven't heard of Ryan, he's the co-founder of Idea Incubator LP and CEO of digitalmarketer.com. Over the last 36 months, Ryan and his team have invested over $15 million on marketing tests, generated millions of unique visitors, sent over a billion that's billion with a b permission based emails and run approximately 3000 split and multivariant tests. Uh, Ryan's also a highly sought after speaker and consultant who's worked who his work has impacted over 200,000 businesses in 68 different countries. You might know Ryan through Digital Marketer, that's probably where you've heard of him. He's a master marketer, master businessman and that's what I'm really excited to dive into in this interview is the whole back end of the book and kind of how he's done that and also get into a marketing piece and then probably towards the end, we'll geek out a little bit on business and have some fun there. So Ryan, welcome, brother.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: And I know you've been sick the past few days, so hopefully you're feeling all better and we'll be rocking and rolling.
1: Yeah, if you see me kind of start to pass that point. <laughs> I'm going to apologize in advance. But yeah, I know this is my first day out of bed in a little bit. So if I seem kind of pale and clammy, that's why. But uh, my brain, I think, is more or less functioning. So we should be (laughs) good.
0: Awesome. Well, for starters, uh, you know, you just released the book, uh, Visible Sailing Machine, uh, pretty recently. And I want to talk about, kind of kick off with that, is you've got a thriving business. Digital marketers just crushing it. You guys are growing like crazy. You just had an event in Australia. I mean, I know you guys are expanding to a lot of different countries. So in the midst of all that and the business growing like crazy, why do a book?
1: A book is timeless, right? This is this is a medium that has persisted for so long. And I think, I think that's because people get it, right? I mean, people understand books. When you take knowledge and you publish it digitally, that means something, but it means a totally different thing when you take that knowledge and you take the time to actually put it in a printed form and bind it and, and give it to someone. And so... For me, I didn't really, in the past people always said, you know, you need to write a book, you need to write a book. I didn't really know what to say that I hadn't already said so many other times, so many other places, and I didn't know how to talk long enough about one subject to actually fill up a book. And then finally, when it came to this topic of email marketing and invisible selling and really how we do follow-up marketing, I, I said, this is it. This is a good topic. It's a good concept. It's one I've written about a lot. It's one I've talked about a lot. And there's very little written about it, oddly enough. So this is a good opportunity I think if you're going to write a book, the first reason always has to be because you have something to say, right? Not just, I want to write a book because I want to have a book. Well, that's adorable, right? But the market doesn't care what you want, right? Do you have something to say that's going to be meaningful to the market? In this case, I did. So that was why we decided to go ahead and put it out.
0: And what was the purpose for this book in terms of the business? Because I know obviously you had the launch of the machine and that was a big push. And I know that this fed into that, but what was the overall purpose for this specific book?
1: Yeah, I mean, this book we did see as as being a a lead generator for it being media for us. I mean, that's that's really the way that we approach books. I mean, I've I've said to authors so many times, and hopefully this has come out in other interviews as well. But you know, and I know you know this, Chandler, but a book is not a business. A book can really help jumpstart a business. It can help get you you know from from being from not having much of a name to having a bigger name just through the distribution that can occur in the medium of the book. But a book in and of itself is not a business. So we were fortunate. Now, I I would never write a book about something unless it was clear to me that, okay, the next logical progression from the book is here. And I would want to make sure that I had here before I wrote the book. And yeah, in this case, we had the machine. And the machine is 36 email campaign templates plus training on how to do it. So these are all the the 36 different campaigns that that we use in our business that we've kind of templatized and we've bundled up and sold as a template pack. And um, we had sold that successfully for about a year. And, you know, and the only way to really even get the concept was to spend, invest the $2,000 to get all the templates. So I said, really, the concept stands alone. And people need to understand the concept, even if they never invest in the templates. And so that's why we really said, let's splinter off from this core offering the concept and turn that into the book, roughly. I mean, it at least formed the foundation
0: of the book. Got it. And what did the creation of that book look like? Because you already had the course, you were already teaching it. So I imagine the book creation part was pretty easy or was it hard? Well, you know, funny enough, it,
1: it was a lot harder than I thought it would be because a book is such a different medium. And for something to read like a book, um, whereas the course is so much video. And, and so I can explain different concepts. I can point at things and say, you know, look at that, see how that works. And, and if you, oh, okay, yeah, I get that. You don't really have the benefit of that. I mean, in a book, I mean, even if you use images, you can only do so much. And so I really had to think through how I was going to teach these concepts when you get into narrative form and stuff like that. There's also a lot when you're teaching how to that again, when you're standing in front of a video, like we're doing here, that we can, you can evoke certain emotions, certain things that you, it's harder to do in print. So, no, what was interesting, the first couple drafts when we just tried to, to pull concepts from the transcripts and stuff like that were terrible. You know, they were almost unreadable. And I've seen people turn transcripts into books, and they're inherently kind of eh, right? And I think that's because it was designed for a different medium. And so what I actually had to do is, is I had to, to say, okay, if I were going to teach this concept over, you know, 90 minutes to two hours, how would I do it? And what would I start? And what I actually did is I went back and I taught a webinar. I did a webinar on the topic. And this was cool because this, this allowed me to do a couple things. Number one, you've heard the story, I'm sure, about Tim Ferriss, you know, split testing, the title of the four-hour workweek using Google AdWords. Yep. Right? Classic, classic book author story. Well, um, for, for me, I was mailing my own list. But I think somebody clicking on an ad is one thing. To me, if they register for something, it's, it's far more impactful. So we actually split tested a bunch of different webinar titles. So webinar titles uh-huh. and subtitles. And so check this out. So the webinar title that won was the Invisible Selling Machine, right? Now we tested a number of different webinar titles. That was the one that won. That was the one that got the most registrants. The subtitle that won, which I can't remember what it was now, but it is now on the subtitle of the book. That was, <laughs> that was the subheadline yeah. of, of the page. And the bullet points for the webinar are the bullet points that are on the back of the book. So pretty much, we were able to test all of that by going and getting people to register for the webinar. And then when I structured the webinar, I said, okay, if I'm going to structure a webinar, what's a good way to do it? Well, number one, I want to open up with, with a story that really lays the foundation, that lays the groundwork of it. And I, and I told a little narrative and I told a story about how we got here, right, and, and what happened. And, and then I gave proof about the result that I had. Because I'm a big believer in saying, okay, here's the result I got. And then if people are interested in, you know, they'll tune in. I thought the same would be true for a book, right? Let's lead with an engaging story that that leads to a result. And if somebody says, okay, interesting story, and I want that result, then they'll tune in to learn more. So then I just broke down the step-by-step-by-step of what happened. And at the end, I, you know, addressed some known objections and talked about some things. And really, when it was done, it was a good structure of a book. And and so that's what, you know, fortunately for me, uh, I have an editor. Um, I have Russ Henneberry, who's the editorial director of Digital Marketer, and Russ was able to take that webinar and all the concepts and my incessant ramblings and really turn that into a book. Then he handed it back to me. Uh, I rewrote probably 90% of it, Uh, and not that Russ isn't a great editor and not that Russ can't do a good job uh, matching my voice because he does it all the time, but I really wanted this to be able to say that I wrote this book, and I really wanted Mm -hmm. to make sure that if somebody said, why'd you say it like that, that it was, that I could answer for it. And it wasn't like, well, that's what my editor wrote, right? That's what my ghostwriter wrote. Uh, And so we went back and forth a couple of times, but uh, once we settled on, okay, let's take the concept and teach it in a webinar, the whole process took like three weeks. It was Mm. amazing. Prior to that, we'd worked on it for months because we were trying to take a totally different medium and morph it and squeeze it into a book, which just didn't work.
0: Yeah. Got it. That's interesting. I've never heard anyone do it that way.
1: Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like, ooh, great idea. It was uh, totally accidental, but it worked out. I'd recommend it.
0: So were you struggling at the point where you said, oh, we're going to do this webinar, and then after the webinar, you were like, whoa, there's the book? Or did you do the webinar with the intent of maybe we can create this into the book? No, no,
1: we did. Yeah, no, I wasn't that intentional about it. I wasn't that strategic. <laughs> I wasn't that smart. No, we were struggling, and we had kind of set the project aside because we were planning on doing a big promotion or the book. We had it slotted into our marketing calendar that, okay, the, the book surely should be done by this day. So let's plan on promoting the book on this day. Well, we didn't have the book done yet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I said, you know, guys, I'm just going to do a webinar. I'm just going to do a big teaching webinar where I just teach and talk about the invisible selling machine, the machine, whatever, you know, we'll come up with a cool name for it. I didn't want to call it the machine because we'd already launched it. So I didn't want to get it confused. And that's the whole reason that I tested different webinar titles or webinar. I, I probably would have even thought to do that. I would have just come up with one, but, uh, but it worked out. So that's, and, and thus the book was born.
0: Got it. Did you sell at the end of that
1: webinar? Yeah, we made a very soft offer, but yeah, at the end of that webinar, we said, you know, if you like this, there's the, there's the machine. It uh, it didn't sell particularly well because it, it it wasn't designed to sell. Really. We just said, I said, I'm going to give a content webinar for the most part.
0: I imagine that's probably similar to how the the book reads, right? It's it's a soft, like, hey, and there's this thing.
1: Yeah, very, I mean, very soft. At at the end of the webinar, I I think I might mention the machine, but I did not want, I've bought books before that were essentially disguised sales letters, and I hate that. As the reader, I hate that, and I was not going to be about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted the book to stand alone, and I think that's important. I really do. I think that's important. And it's important, one, just, somebody paid for it, right, you should deliver value well over and above what they paid for. So I think you have a moral obligation to do that. But also, if you just look at uh, at Amazon today, it's also the reason, by the way, to write a real book and not just put out a poorly edited transcript. You will get eviscerated in your reviews if your book is a disguised sales letter. And that will hurt. It will hurt your rankings, it will hurt your sales, it'll hurt everything. I mean, fortunately that book has really good sales and people come up to me and they say, you know, wow, I'm I'm surprised this was actually a good book. I'm like, (laughs) like, why are you so surprised? It's because most of the books that are put out by marketers are just kind of puff pieces or they're, you know, they're disguised sales letters and those types of things. And this is like a real book. (laughs) Yeah, that was the point. We wanted to write a real book.
0: When you guys were split testing the, the webinar titles, was it for that same webinar or did you hold multiple ones? Were you split testing it inside that email or was it over the course of different webinars?
1: No, it was that just that one webinar. Yeah, we only, did, we only did that webinar one time because again, it was just to fill time. We had a spot on the marketing calendar. We had to do something and, and where we didn't have a promotion ready, I said, well, I'm just going to do some content. But there was no real need. Like I said, it didn't, it didn't sell particularly well because it wasn't designed to sell. So for me to go out and repeat that same webinar again and again and again yeah. would be sort of detrimental. So I mean, the whole thing, I'm not kidding, was a fluke. It was a total fluke. The book came about because we had failed to write the book, oddly enough, you know, because I, I was just trying to, and, and I did what everybody else did. I tried to shortcut it, right? I tried to shortcut it. I tried to say, you know, ah, oh, we've already got this product. Just take the transcripts from this and this patch. The, I'm sure it'll be fine. It wasn't fine. Okay? <laughs> and so that's, that's how it came about.
0: Now, do you remember any of the other uh, split test titles that lost out to the Invisible Cell Machine? As I was saying that, because I knew you would ask, I was I was
1: trying to think. Um, we played around with the word "invisible" and and it was like the automatic and the hands free. I think was kind of where we were going with it. We tested um, sales versus selling, oddly enough, um, and so, but it was little nuances like that. But I, I really, I think we only tested three or four different variations. We really can't test a whole lot more than that. or or we're not really going to get statistical significance.
0: So was this one the winner by a long shot or was it kind of slight edge? I I think like
1: sales and selling were more or less the same and, but invisible be automatic and hands-free, which, which seemed odd to me, right? I I wouldn't have thought that if I were, if I were to pick, I would have thought an autopilot, or an automatic, yeah. or a hands-free, because it's a little more evocative. Um, mm-hmm. It suggests a benefit would have outperformed, but I guess the idea of uh, of the invisible got it. And 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 actually, hands-free is in the subtitle, so it was like the you know five-step hands-free autopilot. So we got the hands-free and autopilot in the subtitle, and so I think having the more evocative, curiosity-driven headline. With a more benefit-rich specific subheadline, one that was what Interesting.
0: won. Interesting. So. so curiosity then hit, drawing them in with the title, and then benefits hitting them in the subtitle.
1: And that's not uncommon. We've seen that win in headlines. You'll you'll have a grabber at the top, so you'll see you know a classic headline structure in in the financial space was liars, 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 right? And then it was okay, who's lying? What are they lying about? You've got to answer what it is. If you're going to use a big grabber like that, you have to answer it fairly quickly. Uh, and, and sort of the invisible selling machine, while not as as much of a grabber as liars, 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 was enough of a grabber that people said, what is that? Oh, it's about email marketing. Great. I'll check that out.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the part of you got to answer it because I think it's just hilarious when people Put that curiosity, attention-grabber subject line and then just don't even address it. And it, and it just yeah. pisses people off so much. It's also not good enough
1: in this culture, right? Because, no. okay, you got someone to glance, right? That's at that's, that's, that's best you're getting someone to maybe glance when you do that. But three seconds later, Kim Kardashian is going to do something to make them glance. And then she's probably going to do something after that that's going to make them stare right? So a curiosity thing, a grabber, that can cause someone to glance, but without a direct benefit, without speaking to someone's desired end result, you're never going to get them to stare. And I think that's the difference, right? How can you turn a glance into a a stare? Mm -hmm. So hopefully that's what a title subtitle does.
0: Yeah. Now moving into the marketing portion of the book, I know once you guys launched it, I mean, you had the machine coming up as well, and that that kind of fed into that. But how much did you guys go in for the marketing? Um, and how did you guys balance that versus the other stuff that you were doing as a company?
1: It was towards the end of the year when it came out. And actually, and this is a totally true story. A lot of people, when we did this promotion, like, oh, that's really, really smart. No, like when we were super rushed and I had a goal of getting this book done by January 1st, 2015. I really wanted it done before then. I wanted it done by the end of the year, you know, this last year. And, uh, and so I rushed my team, but I was traveling and they were going back and forth on these different covers. And ultimately I, I said, okay, yeah, pick this one. And I sent the wrong one that I wanted and they picked the wrong cover. Uh, it was my fault, but, but the wrong cover was selected. And then in addition to that, the printer messed up um, where all the pages that were supposed to be left were now on the right side, which makes a big difference. Right, you, you now have chapters starting kind of in weird places. It just jacks everything up. in fact, I'm, oddly enough, so I'm, I'm, I'm using some books to stack up my computer, and one of the books that I'm using to stack up my computers is one of the first prints, so I'm going to draw it down just a little bit. Here it is. Not particularly attractive, and actually, my daughter found this one and put a little heart sticker on it. <laughs> which didn't make me feel any better, but yeah, this book, I mean all the I mean, look at this printing on the inside. How Bobo is that? I mean, this is just about as poorly done as you can get, but oh yeah, we had 10,000 of them. And so I did a promotion where I said, hey, look, when these things arrived, I remember my heart sank. I was so disappointed because you get your, I mean, you know, man, you, you're you an author, right? You remember what it feels like to get that first set of books, those first proofs, and you open the box and you pull it out. And it's like, you haven't had kids yet, but it's like a baby being born and you're like, oh, it's Ugly, <laughs> and it was so. Fortunately, all my kid, children were beautiful. But this, I was so disappointed. I mean, so unbelievably disappointed when this book came out. But like, what are we going to do? We got ten thousand of them. We we still got a, a place on the marketing calendar for we're going to promote this. So I did a free book sale, and I explained what happened. And, and people, it's so funny in our in our marketing community. People are so cynical. They're like, "Oh, you you did that for the th- no, I didn't. I'm not that." I'm not that, number one, That that's called lying, but even still, like I wouldn't spend the money to print 10,000 of these suckers wrong just so I yeah. could do a promotion. I wouldn't do that, right? <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. So we had 10,000 of these things and I just, I got on, I had set up a camera and I said, you know, hey, Ryan Dice here. My first book is out, yay, really exciting, except, oops, I screwed up the cover, screwed up the interior. Um, I'm still proud of the content, but I'm not proud of the way it looks. So if you're the type of person who doesn't judge a book by their cover, oh, then uh, yeah. I'd love, which was something I just pulled straight out of my butt as I was on camera, then I'd love to send you the book for free. And that's exactly what I did. And we did the book. It was it just pay shipping and handling. And, and really when it was all said and done, it was pretty much just, I think we charged 4.95 shipping and handling, which depending on where we were shipping it, for the most part, it cost about 4.95, dollars uh, And we had in these a little under a buck to get to get these printed. And so we, you know, we just about broke even selling these, getting rid of these books. And I just wanted them out of stock, really. But what was great is when I when I was done on the other side of it, it was just a video of me saying, hey, you know, so let me tell you the story of this book. And I talked about the machine and and I said if you'd like some more information about the machine. You, you can click a link below to get more information. It, it wasn't a one-click upsell. It wasn't an immediate upsell. It wasn't a really hard sales message. I said, you know, if you want more information, then click the more information link. If you don't, click the no thanks link and you can be taken to the thank you page. Over 80% of the people clicked the, yeah, I want more information link. And uh, this promotion wound up producing about a quarter million dollars in sales in a week. That's awesome. All all, that's, the, good. that's
0: the first promo, the I printed the wrong book promo.
1: Yeah, the first promo was the I printed the wrong book promo, which again was <laughs> totally, totally sincere. If you're going to model this at home, I don't necessarily recommend this unless you, you know, you could go out and say, I'm really excited to have my 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 book. I mean, it, it was essentially a free book promo, right? And, and you've seen people do this. Jeff Walker's done this. Bernard Burchard's done this. It's not a new concept of get my new book for free, just pay shipping and handling. Just for me, I had a different reason why. My cover is ugly. And there were lots of people, oddly enough, who said, no, that's okay. I'm going to wait until the real cover comes out. Um, And there were lots of people who said, I don't care. There were tons of people who, when the real cover did come out, and I decided to go ahead and do hardback for the next print run. And we did a totally new cover, totally new interior. Everything made it look a lot better. And this one, incidentally, never made it to Amazon. I never put this on Amazon. It, It never had an ISBN number. We were in such a rush nothing. Uh, the next version did, it had all those, those fancy things. And I still came out initially and I said, Hey, the new version of my book is out. I'd like to give it away, you know, give away some free copies. And that's, you know, that, and that's exactly what we did. We gave away some more free copies of that one and, and, uh, a slightly different funnel on the back. And that one, we, we put people into a, a trial for digital marketer lab. Uh, we just had a more advanced funnel in place and, and, uh, I think upsold, you know, another kind of mid-range product. And and then in addition to giving people the opportunity to direct purchase the machine, we also put them in a perpetual launch. So they got as a bonus three additional training videos. Well, those three additional training videos were the pre-launch for the machine.
0: Got it. That's awesome. So you you had this second launch. Did you get any pushback from people who said you gave away the other one for free, now you're giving this one away for free? Was there any pushback from people on that? No, we charged a little more for it
1: for the for the shipping and handling, and uh, and and so the offer was the offer was a little bit different. Uh, I'd have to go back. I'd have to go back and look. And in fact, what we might have said is, you can get the book for ten dollars, and I'll ship it for free. So it wound up being, you know, about the same. And I, I, in fact, that's exactly what we did. I think it said, we said you can get the book for just ten dollars, and I'll send it to you for free, just like Amazon. This is what Got we it. did. So, and was this yeah.
0: pre-selling or was this once the book was already available on Amazon? Uh, when we first did it, the book
1: wasn't available on Amazon because it hadn't yet shipped to Amazon. I didn't even know how to do all that stuff yet. And in fact, initially it was set up wrong. We set it up as an Amazon seller selling like a used book. And so, I mean, we didn't know what the heck we were doing. Like, and we should have investigated, right? Should have asked some people. But my thing is always, let's go out and, and, make, a, and make a big mess. And I also never cared about the Amazon rankings. Yeah, you know, That was the thing. I never cared about the Amazon rankings. This book has sold nearly 20,000 copies in a, in a short enough period of time that it would be on the New York Times bestseller list if I cared. But I don't care about making the list. The goal for the book was not to make the list. Right? The goal, I don't care about that. Um, it, it's the same reason why I didn't want to go through a traditional publisher. Right? I don't, I don't, I, I'm, I'm fortunate that I own my own media. And I think that with my own lists and things like that, I don't, I don't have to depend on somebody else's media. I wanted to use the book as a tool to get a message out there so that I could onboard people into Digital Marketer. You know, that, that's what I wanted it for. And, and so a lot of people, and this is a cool little trick, by the way, um, on our order form. If you go to Invisible Selling Machine, if you, go to, if you go to buy and then leave, we say, wait, before you go, would you, would you rather buy it through Amazon? And so we give people an opportunity right there to click and to go and purchase it on Amazon. Now, we get a ton of sales every single day through Amazon, and, and, and it's starting to climb the ranks in, in Amazon. And I'm sure that eventually it's going to wind up ranking very high in its categories in Amazon. And I'm sure I'll get emails from people saying, oh, you rank number one for this category, and that'll be great. But it's not the purpose of this book. Right, it's not the reason that this book exists. So if it happens, great. But I wasn't going to be dependent upon Amazon. I wasn't going to use it as a pre-sell and then move all the sales through Amazon. No, they're my sales. These are my customers, right? I wanted the sales going through my shopping cart so that I can control the experience, so that I can control, you know, what gets sent out. I mean, I wanted to have total control of it. And and so so no, it wasn't a pre sales kind of thing.
0: Got it. And so the total control aspect, I imagine that too ties into the publishing part because you, you mentioned about, you know, this is why you didn't go the publishing route. And we talked a little bit on about this before the interview, but you want to touch on that fact, the fact that you I mean, you've been offered publishing deals and you've turned those down and why?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've had publishers offer me. I've had I've had agents come through and say, "Hey, XYZ publisher would would love to do a single book deal for you for a half a million dollar advance, and if you'd be willing to do a multi book deal, it could be a multi million dollar advance." And thank you, you know, I, I appreciate it. There might come a day, one day, where being on the New York Times bestseller list or being a quote unquote published author, the way that some would define it, becomes a bucket list item for me. Uh, that day is not today. This book, both its ugly cousin here and it's much prettier version, has produced millions of dollars in revenue for me. And I own 100% of it. I control 100% of it. I put it out at my pace. Um, and so somebody coming along and saying, okay, we'll, we'll pay you a half a million dollar advance. Yeah, but but then I'm having to, if, if I want to use my book as as a tripwire, for example, which is what we call kind of a front-end entry point offer, now I have to go and buy a wholesale from the publisher. So now I'm, I'm having to go to the publisher and, and, and I'm buying from them for what, seven, eight bucks, I guess, I mean, you know you would know better than I do if I'm gonna go and publish my book or buy my own book from the publisher, seven, eight bucks. Yeah, or, you know, I might get a wholesale deal. I might, if I, de- depending on if I go through, you know, a smaller publisher, then maybe they'll let me buy at cost. But still it's gonna be more than I can get if I handle the process myself and so right then and there what I can charge for the book to bring people in is more i have to charge more which is going to impact my ability to front end it again the creative aspect of it if i want to put certain things in they might argue with me about it i don't like to argue with people about my own stuff i don't see me doing well with that and but the bigger issue man i don't know if you've experienced this the timeline so i had finally got to a point where i was talking with the publisher and um, because frankly, they had made, made an advance offer that was so lucrative, I was like, I got to at least think about this. This is a lot, a lot of money. I mean, I, there's a lot that I can do. Even if I just take 100% of the advance and use it to buy back books and put it into marketing, they're, they're willing to front-end load a pretty gigantic marketing campaign. Uh, I got I to gotta look into this. And it actually would have worked. That, that's the area where it would make sense. If you're willing to take a really big advance and put it back into the campaign itself, which is what the publishers want you to do, to sell more books, right? I, which I was more than willing to do. But
0: they're talking about 12 to 18 months before the book gets out on the shelf. And that's that's the short end of the stick. Like, that's right. the, the minimum, well, no, right? And, and that, that was my point. Like,
1: I was willing – I wanted to really negotiate that. Like, that was my prime negotiating thing. And and the best that they could do is, like, if we really hustle, like, you know, 12 to 18 months, maybe. I'm like, what? <laughs> So that, oh. to me, that to me was, was the biggest deal killer of all. I mean, certainly in, in a lot of the stuff that I'm writing about in 12 to 18 months, are you kidding me? We'll have changed. You know, I've already changed around. We're on the third printing of Invisible Selling Machine. I've changed it a little bit every time, just tweaking different stuff and just fixing spelling mistakes and stupid grammar errors. But stuff changes. 12 to 18 months, I, I could be dead in 12 days. I'm not going to wait 12 to 18. What takes 12 to 18 months yeah. today? Nothing. So that was, to me, that was the bigger reason why I was like, I can't do it. Timing. I, I, there, I make, there may come a day. There is a place for it. Um, if I can write some, some giant piece that's just so awe inspiring that it will inspire for generations to come probably won't. But if I can come up with that, then, then maybe I'll keep you posted.
0: Hey Chandler Bolt here. I hope you're loving this episode so far. It's time to go from inspiration to implementation. All right, so if you've learned something, we want to help you implement what you've learned with your book. So what I want you to do right now is go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a publishing consultation with one of the experts on my team. We'll talk about your goals for your book, your dreams, your challenges, your next steps, and we'll start putting together a plan. All right, so go to selfpublishing.com forward slash schedule, book a call with the team. Let's see how we can help with your book. It's time to implement now, what was interesting to me when you were talking a little bit ago is that you guys switched the back-end offer between the wrong book cover launch and the, uh, like the, the, the one with the new cover and the real launch. So what went, behind, what went into your thought process behind that, and why did you switch from uh, the machine to doing DM Labs as a front-end offer?
1: Yeah, pretty simple. We weren't ready the first time. I mean, I can't tell you, man, how many of the things that we do that people take as intent that really they come down to the fact that we're just so busy. Sometimes things slip through the cracks. So it was coming towards the end of the year and, uh, and I was traveling. I was gone. I mean, it, the week before Christmas, you know, I'm gone. I mean, and, and the, the week between Christmas and New Year's, we pretty much shut down the office. And at the same time, you know, we do Traffic and Conversion Summit the first part of the year. So the team's kind of crazy with that. There's just a lot going on. We had this promotion slotted and we're like, yay, the book's done. But the funnel wasn't, but kind of all of us forgot that. And so here we were, we wanted to put out the book. I didn't have time to record, uh, you know, I really didn't want to go from a a free book into, hey, thank you for buying my book. Now can I have $2,000? Right. That's a little bit like sure was nice meeting for coffee. Would you like to get married? (laughs) You kind of need to put some steps in in between there. And so what I when I decided instead, originally, we were just gonna say, you know what, let's just sell the book. And everybody who gets it, tell them on the thank you page, hey, as an unadvertised bonus. Here's some additional training videos that you can go through. And here's an additional mini class that you can register for is actually how we were going to do it. Here's an additional mini class that you can register for. And obviously that mini class was going to be opting in for a perpetual version of our launch, right, for the machine. And so we figured it's not going to, you know, we're not going to, the immediate sales aren't going to be as high because we're not going to really have an immediate upsell, but we'll get it. You know, We'll get it over the next 14 to 21 days as the perpetual launch does what it does. We're just going to have to wait for it. And that, by the way, the perpetual launch is one of the campaigns that we talk about in the machine. It is one of the campaigns inside of the machine, and it's one of the campaigns that I talk about inside of Invisible Selling. There's a little bit of a meta thing where I could say, you know, when you sign up for this, you're also going to be able to see you know, one of the ways that we can do email follow-up. Right. So we were going to settle with that. And then last minute I said, you know what, let's just go for it. Let's go ahead and try to get an immediate sale. There are people who are buying this book, who've heard about the machine, they're going to be ready to buy. And so let me just record a quick, you know, it was like a three or four minute video. I said, I don't want to make an immediate offer. But if I can do this kind of intermediate bridge, sort of semi upsell concept where I basically upsell them to the upsell, but it's optional. Right. So it's an optional upsell. If you don't want to see the upsell, you don't have to see the upsell if if you if you want more information. So it was really passive. And we've gone back and we've tested this in some other upselling applications. And it's actually performed better in a lot of cases than I would have thought it would, because, you know, you buy something and now all of a sudden you're being presented with a new offer. It's a little bit nerve wracking. Um, But if somebody says, hey, you got this and that's great. Um, There's another thing that I think would work really well. You don't necessarily have to have it. Here's why I think you would want it. if you'd like more information, you know click the click the link if you don't then then click the no thanks link. Well, then you know it's a risk free proposition like there's no risk in me clicking the link, certainly if I right click open in a new tab that that no thanks is still there waiting for me um and, and so that that's why I decided let me give this a shot. I just wanted that buffer in between going from the free book into the $2,000 thing. So it's a total last minute thing, but it worked really, really, really well. And I think more than half of the sales that came in from that campaign, it did around a quarter million dollars, like I said, and more than half of the sales were from the immediate upsell, Mm -hmm. which I was really shocked. I I definitely did not expect that. Uh, And and it doesn't mean that that necessarily doubled sales because I'm sure a lot of those people who bought immediately would have bought in the perpetual launch anyway, but I'm sure it was a plus overall. And certainly yeah. getting the money sooner rather than later
0: was a biggie. Interesting. So it's a, it's almost like a permission-based, like asking for permission to show them the upsell. So then they feel like they're more in control. And then they go to the upsell. And then it's like, well, this is something that I said, yes, I want to see. So I'm inherently more yeah. interested to actually watch the video.
1: Exactly. I think there's a micro-commitment aspect to it. And then when we roll out the new funnel... I knew I wanted to put people into Digital Marketer Lab because that's our main thing. At Digital Marketer, we want members. We want subscribers. We want people into Digital Marketer Lab. That is our flagship pillar offering. And so to not, given the volume of people that would be going through this, uh, I mean, you know, we were selling thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of books, to not give these people an opportunity to join Digital Marketer Lab would be a big waste and so I knew I wanted the first thing to be, hey, great, you've got my book, but now I'd like for you to, since you got the book, I'd like for you to take a, a dollar trial into Digital Marketer Lab, and I'll give you some other things uh, too. And uh, then I, I believe we did an offer for Secret Selling System, which is just kind of a generic marketing class that uh, that Perry Belcher and I did together, it, like 99% Perry, but uh uh, on just general selling. And so it's, you know, this book kind of explains my general manifesto of invisible selling. If you'd like to know how another way that we do selling, we have this course called secret selling. So it was a, it was a good little tie-in since they both dealt with, with selling. And then on the thank you page now, so the order, so the transaction was done on the thank you page, there was an optional video where I told them, you know, Hey, if you'd like to go and learn more information about this thing called the machine, you know, you can click over and check it out. At this point, that didn't convert nearly as well. But again, everybody who went in got, as an added bonus, these three videos. And so it was, you know, the very next day, it's like, hey, here's bonus video number one. Go check it out. And that was, of course, the first pre-launch video. And so they went through all the all the pre-launch videos, which tied directly back into the book. And then they went through the full launch process, and, and it converted really, really well. And it's still, it's a it's a perpetual campaign that we have running today. You know, at at any given time, if you get an invisible selling machine, I think it's invisiblesellingmachine.com, there is a perpetual launch going. I mean, if you buy the book, you're going to go through the launch for for the machine. Um, And we're always driving Facebook traffic into that book. You know, so we're constantly driving book sales. And we can do that because of the back end. Right. That's why that book will always sell. The book will always sell because I can always afford to drive traffic and sales into it. And we've you never know. had any affiliates promoted or anything like that. It's just our list and paid traffic.
0: That's awesome. And on that note, this is a random side question that I wanted to ask. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the Facebook aspect of it. Is Are you guys running much Facebook video ads to, to that book or you know, just I, in general? We're not doing a ton of Facebook. Early on when they were doing Facebook video ads,
1: the way that they were charging for them wasn't as great. And so I, I yeah. would defer that question to Molly because Molly, you know... Molly Pittman is; she deserves all the credit for awesome. most of the smart stuff that comes out at it. Molly and Russ and and Rich. Um, I just get to take credit for it, but uh, but yeah, no, I would I would defer to Molly on that one because I remember we were talking, and we were really excited about it, and kind of early on, we were like, oh, this is looking good, but then the way that they were charging for for the it,
0: view, reviews, for for yeah, views,
1: it it wasn't it wasn't as good. Now my understanding is that they're going to change that, and so I, I think they just did. That's it, okay. That. Yeah. Molly, Molly had told me that, that she said they were going to change it. So my guess is that we're going to go back and uh, retest that again very, very, very soon. Because mm-hmm. I mean, video in posts works works really well for engagement. I mean, we're, we're testing, we do YouTube retargeting all the time, and that works great. Uh, so it only makes sense that that video will work. I think Facebook, they, I think they maybe got a little aggressive on their end and how they wanted to charge their yeah. advertisers. And uh, I can't hate them for that, right? They got to make theirs. And, but I think they realized like, ah, we might've been a little stingy. And I think they went yeah. back and reworked some stuff, which is going to be good for advertisers. I think it'll work oh, really absolutely. well.
0: Absolutely, Because then I think you're right. They did get aggressive. And so then they were like, all right, cool. I'll just go to YouTube and retarget there like you guys are doing, right? right <laughs> and right. So then they're like, wait, 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 wait. Maybe we can talk about this again.
1: And I, and I, would, I just want to give them both money, right? To me, it's not, I'm not going to play favorites. It's, 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 I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'll give some to all of you guys. So, because the ROI is so good.
0: Oh, absolutely. On the back end of the book, which did better between the DM Labs and the machine? Like, which, which did better?
1: Oh, I mean, the, the vast majority of the revenue from that, certainly within the first 30 days, was from the machine. Right. Mm-hmm. And Secret Selling System actually did really, really well, too. So, if we're going to look at immediate revenue, right, if we're just going to look at immediate revenue, and, and we look at immediate as like basically first 72 hours. Right, so a visitor hits first seventy-two hours, we consider that immediate. So the vast majority of the immediate revenue came from that secret selling system upsell, which was upsell number two, and that uh, sold for I believe two hundred ninety-seven dollars. Okay, so they went from a seven-dollar book up to two ninety-seven. We might have also tested some other price points, but I, but I think I think it was around two ninety-seven was where we went. That generated the vast majority of the immediate revenue. Now the The 30- and 60-day revenue uh, wound up being trumped by the machine. But that took some time. It took some time because the conversion rate, obviously, for that, it's just a longer sales cycle when you're talking about a perpetual launch. In the perpetual launch, we're not even asking for the order until I think it's 12 to 14 days into that series before we even ask them to buy. It takes a little bit of time to build. And and so certainly immediate revenue is fairly small on the machine. You've got the people that go through and they see the thank you page. They watch the video. They say, yeah, I'm interested. And they buy immediately. Those people are are pretty few and far between. Uh, So those generate the revenue. But for me, all that revenue that gets generated, that's just, that's what gives me the revenue that I need to put into the advertising to get subscribers into Digital Marketer Lab. Right. So all that other stuff, great. I'm not pocketing all that all that money for the most part. I'm putting it right back into the campaign because of what I want is subscribers into Digital Marketer Lab. And and you know, we wanna you know, we had, we have a goal of crossing twenty five thousand active members by the end of twenty fifteen. And uh, you know, and so to do that we need a lot of different funnels that are producing, you know, new acquisition funnels producing new members. And and as long as those acquisition funnels are running at break even or better producing brand new members at break even are better better, than we're going to turn we're going to we're going to keep going
0: That's a little
1: bit different way of thinking about it right and you can't take all the money and put it right back in your pocket you got to reinvest it if you want to if you want to grow
0: absolutely so it sounds like the focus for you guys is on dm labs and is that because of the recurring revenue aspect and i imagine i mean if you get them in dm labs then obviously at some point they'll see secret selling uh system they'll see the machine they'll see all that
1: yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the, that's our core business, right? That's our evergreen product. Products as a product come and go. They'll go in fashion, they'll go out of fashion. You know, people see the machine and, and even though the machine is an evergreen product, right, their email campaigns, they're gonna be people who see it and be like, oh, that's old, right? I mean, for the most part, products, you got maybe 12 to 18 months and this isn't new to, this isn't unique to, to the marketing space. This is true in just about every market you look at why you know, Apple has to come out and refresh your iPhone and, and iPads and stuff like that. I mean, it, people want the new. It's just the way our culture works. They want the new. And, uh, and just slapping a 2.0 on it usually isn't good enough. But when it's a subscription, you know, when it's a membership, you can deliver the new without having to sell the new constantly. Right. And so for me, I, I always want somebody in some type of subscription. That's where the stability of of business comes from. That's when you can really say, okay, we're a real company. We're really growing here because look, we have this. And it's not this just kind of up and down whipsaw, uh, revenue whipsaw that a lot of businesses go through. And, and so that's why that's that's our primary focus. Everything that we have is is built around it's also the best thing that we do. And yeah, like you said, once somebody's a member of Digital Marketer Lab, the, the chance that they're going to buy something else is incredibly high. Incredibly high. I mean that, that they are the first when we release something new to go out and buy it.
0: Got it. And so, I mean, I know this has been a focus, like with, with Perry's side of the business, that the subscription base is, is huge. And that's been a focus. Um, yep. with digital marketers, is this the first big push at having like a huge continuity, recurring revenue? Like, is this, is this the first like time you're really making a huge go at it?
1: I mean, we've been doing it. So, so the new version of Digital Marketer Lab launched in, gosh, it was about April. Of twenty fourteen, mm-hmm. so it, it's about eighteen months old, about a year and a half old now, uh, which which is crazy. It's not it's not very old. Now we have had different iterations of Digital Marketer Lab in the past, and c- just candidly, we just haven't done a very we just didn't do a very good job with it. Um, mm-hmm. We did what a lot of people do when they do subscriptions, which is they say, "What's the minimum that I can do uh, to get you know to to basically deliver." on on what i'm charging right the subscription was just kind of the thing of it's okay you bought this now now join this over here and you'll love it and it's awesome and you get people in when they buy one thing and then you just kind of hope to keep them by having enough stuff there well we wanted to make sure that with digital marketer lab it was the best offering out there period end of story so we just through the kitchen sink at it. But we did it in a way that was strategic and consumable and not just like you're getting oh you know, you're getting insanely overwhelmed and provided a ton of support uh, and community. That was the big part of the community. Because people will join a subscription, they'll join a membership um, to fix a problem or because of a, a perceived value. They stay for the community. I've known that to be true for a while. I don't remember where I, I heard it first. Um, it was the old saying with subscription and membership was people join to get out of hell, they stay because it's heaven. Um, again, I, like I didn't, don't quote me on that. You can quote me as quoting somebody else who I don't remember who said it on that. But, uh, but so I've known this to be true. We just never really knew how to do that. And with the introduction of just something as simple as a Facebook group, right? Um, as, a, as an additional bonus um, that uh, a closed Facebook group And having that community aspect, just that was so big. But no, I mean, we've had a number of pushes for Digital Marketer Lab. I mean, kind of every time we offer an execution plan, it's Digital Marketer Lab on the back. Um, We'll, you know, every quarter or so do a dollar trial offer for a very short period of time to to get a bunch of members in. So it's fairly recent in that it's only been going on for the last 18 months. But that's not because we didn't try before. We tried before, we just failed because... We didn't do a good enough job on the deliverables side.
0: Got it. And so now it's, you're stepping up to the deliverables and this is kind of coming front and center.
1: Yeah. Well, now I'm really proud of it right now. now I can say, this is good. I mean, we just killed like digital marketer lab was launched. Gosh, I think in 2008, 2009 originally. And when we first launched, it was actually really, really good. I put, I put a lot of work into it and then it just, it got hard. And so we killed it. I mean, we killed it. Stopped the billing. Shut the thing down. I mean, it was it was still generating six figures a month, but it, it was so bad. I was so embarrassed by it um, that that we just killed it. And, and it, people were like, "Why'd you stop billing me?" That was good. I was like, "No, it wasn't, dude. You're remembering the early days when I was actually doing a good job." And and I just in in trying to run a business, I wasn't able to fulfill on all the obligations of it It's not that I didn't want to. It's just that I was trying to do everything. And so when we went back and I and I reengineered Digital Market Lab, I said. There's going to be people whose sole responsibility is just mm-hmm. this membership. Like it, it, there has to be people who this is all they do. Yeah. There has to be a team built around this. It's too valuable, and so we hired some some key people to to really help get that thing going. And, and I mean, we got somebody who all they do is they're just responsible for the Facebook group and just making sure that every question that gets asked in there gets an answer. I mean, that's their whole thing. They don't necessarily answer it themselves, but they'll ping somebody in the office, say, hey, can you respond to this? Or they'll ping another member and say, hey, I remember you talking about this. Would you mind responding to this? And they're engaging. And that's their whole Hmm. thing. That's Susie. She's a community manager, right? In the past, I never would have made that type of investment. And I think most businesses won't. They won't hire a full-time in-office person because we are, I think we have a really great, uh, you know, fantastic offering out there that I'm really, really proud of. and And I'm proud to highlight it. Proud to tell people, hey, you should be a member because now I know when when they get in now they'll say, wow, this is great. Whereas in the past, the better we were at selling it, the faster we would convince everybody that we sucked. You know, now it's <laughs> I'm proud to sell it because I know it's really, really good.
0: That's great, and that, that's cool to hear how you guys made the transition from that being front and center and focus. And I feel like a lot of people relate to that, right? You're running the business like you were. And so you can't keep the content good. And so like this, this this constant juggle between the two. But once you made the decision to, okay, we're going to invest in this and put some full-time people in there. And that is their thing. Then it becomes so much easier. Now, now you can actually sell it better, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds logical. It's hard to do on the front, right? It's hard to make yeah, that right. investment before the thing is making money. Mm-hmm. Um, and as entrepreneurs we think we can do it all, you know, I'll be the first to admit that I've 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 made a lot of mistakes in the past where, and usually it came from a spirit of yeah I can do that I can do that and it came from a spirit of just just getting overcommitted because I thought I could and and in trying to do it all I either did some of it poorly or in some cases I completely failed and yeah. I didn't manage to do it all and I had to say I'm very sorry I failed and that's no fun nobody wants to do that but I mean if you're there. You know, a, a, as a content creator, as an author, you're in a good company, right? You're, yeah. and not just me, right? You're, you're in good company with a lot of people who have set out to do something and have found that that it's overwhelming and that it's hard. And sometimes you just have to say, I, I, I can't do this right now. I got to finish this thing, or, or I can't do these because I have to do this. I have to focus on this. This is too important. And, and that's where we were with Lab. That's where we were with the book. I mean, there were lots of stuff that we set aside, projects that would have made more. It would have generated more revenue, but I but the book was important. It was too important of an asset. I knew that that while it in and of itself wouldn't make a lot of money, it was too important of an asset to not invest in. That was hard to do, hard to do when you got payroll and office and you know you yourself like to eat, right? I mean, it's but that's 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 business, right? That's why we get paid the big bucks.
0: Absolutely, and that's more long-term thinking, which I'm curious to kind of circle back to. We talked about the 60-day value of on the back end of that book, you know, how, how that kind of shook out with the short-term revenue, DM Labs and all that stuff. I'd be interested to hear a little bit more long-term. I know this hasn't hasn't shaken out yet and it will still, you know, keep, to, keep shaking out. But what about like the two-year value? Where do you see that between DM Labs, secret selling and the machine? Where, where do you see like that? You think DM Labs kind of pulls ahead and then sells the other two? Or where do you see that breakdown on back-end revenue?
1: Yeah, it, get, it gets hard at that point to... To pinpoint, like to go straight back to specific product, and and to really to say, okay, well this this product here is responsible for this, right? So that we don't necessarily track it by that. What mm-hmm. we do is we look at it and we say, okay, this funnel, this campaign, this acquisition campaign that brought someone in. We want to make sure that that particular campaign, as a whole, if it's thirty day, if it ROI is in thirty days or less. Then bar the doors. We're coming. Because I mean, it, it's hard. Like if you're self-funding, like I mean, we're fortunate now. Like we're we're a good-sized company. We've been able to to set funds aside to make certain investments, even if they don't pay off immediately. But if you're just getting started, if you're shoestringing this thing. If it pays off in 30 days or less, you can fund that with credit cards. Right? I'm not necessarily. I'm not saying suggesting go out there and rack up a bunch of credit cards. But to make a, a you know a five to do a 500 dollars buy on Facebook. Right, as a as a risk, for example, I mean, if you're a business owner, I think that's a good risk. You could spend five hundred dollars on stupider stuff than that all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd much rather sit on Facebook and then look at it and say, okay, I've got I've got from now until you know I got thirty days before I need to pay this bill, so I got thirty days to make that five hundred dollars back. Right now, when you get out into sixty days, that's a okay. I got to pay the bill, and, and now it's sixty day ROI. So for a lot of funnels, if they're really working, we can stretch it to sixty and even to ninety. Us, it's difficult to justify going out past 90 days. Lots of companies can. Lots of companies can. If you think about the really big like big cell phone companies, they're willing to go two years negative. A lot of big SaaS companies that are funded, same thing, they're willing to go uh, they're, they're, they'll go 12 months all day long. Um, and, and really what they're looking at is they want to make sure that their cost of acquisition is at least one-third their lifetime customer value. So they're going to assess, okay, we believe that our lifetime customer value is $2,000, right? So let's say $3,000 because the math is easier. We believe our lifetime customer value is $3,000. Therefore, if today, if I can spend $1,000 to acquire a customer, I'm happy to do that, right? I'm happy to do that. That's what the big funded companies can do. That's not, and it sounds great, but you, that's where you, and, and we've adopted that, and we got into some pretty big cash flow crunches cuz sometimes you just can't afford to wait for that LTV mm-hmm. like if if it takes 5 years to experience the full value of that of that lifetime then hopefully you got some cash stacked up that you can pay off these $1000 acquisition bills for so so for us that's not how we approach it we want to make sure that our cost of acquisition right our cost of acquisition is break even or better if it's 30 days or less or 60 days or less, and on some funnels, if we know we know because we've been running them for a while that they will pay off, that they're good quality uh, customers coming through there, then we're willing to go at a 90 day ROI. but but once we have that, then really what we're looking at is, okay great, we've got all these customers here that are now customers, right? How can we maximize the value of these customers? And I don't just say that our lifetime customer value is pegged at x because it's my job to make sure that it continues to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow Got it. And, and we could make certain estimates on what it's going to be in two years it's just not particularly helpful to me it doesn't inform the decisions that i'm making so i don't bother going into that into that math because worst case uh there's a really good chance that it's going to get me into some type of false hope and i can have uh excel tell me that we're just crushing it but my bank account tell me that i'm not
0: And yeah. and that's
1: just the difference between you know me i mean you know, like I said, we're we're a big company. I fully expect we're an eight-figure company. We should be into nine figures, not by the end of this year, but by the end of the next year. Uh, I expect to break a hundred million dollars, but you still can't break me out of this startup mindset. I, I won't do it because I've seen too many companies do it. I've seen too many of them get comfortable, and I've seen them, uh, I've seen them die the slow cash flow death.
0: And there's nothing um, worse.
1: No, I've seen a lot of really successful companies with great products and great marketing die because they thought they could wait a lot longer than they actually could to get that customer.
0: Yep. Awesome. Well, two final questions. Next. The last one is, you know, you guys made an announcement recently about switching over from the launch model um, to more evergreen and perpetual, like you talked about. I'm curious uh, what went into that decision and how that looks like for you guys moving forward.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, we've never really been a big launch centric business. We would do Mm -hmm. maybe one or two a year and that'll likely still continue i don't I don't think the that the launch model so let me distinguish between the between the the launch when I say the word launch model and what I mean it in the context of that yeah. there are a lot of businesses that are launch centric businesses, so all they do is launch they launch one product after another after another after another after another, and they're only ever as good as their previous launch, so they they work to to build an offer. They work to build a product, they work to build the market, they work to build all the enthusiasm, all the collateral around the launch, and then they launch, and then they make their money, and then they spend it. And, and that's like the Hollywood hits model. I'm not saying, I mean, there's a place for that, right? There's, there's a place for that. When, when, you've, when you have a, a movie that you spend a couple hundred million dollars on that goes off and does a billion, that's a win. And there are people who have made their careers out of that model in Hollywood. I don't have the stomach for it. For me, I don't have the stomach for it. I don't. I don't want to do it. And um, and so no. I, what I really what I really was saying is is I want to get away from from having businesses that are so launch centric or promotion centric, to where we're only ever as good as our last promotion. You know, I want to be able to say, which I can, if we choose just to kick back this week and not do anything, we're going to be fine, because we've got subscription revenue that just that in and of itself is good. We have just ongoing sales of people coming to our website through social and through organic and through referral, people finding us who who know about our brands who are who are coming to our site and they're just buying. They're just shopping. And and we've got we have enough products in our arsenal that we can go back to any given time and say, hey, remember this one, you should go check it out. Or hey, this subsection, you should go and check, you know, this out. Uh and and so if we do a launch, and we will because again, when I say the launch model, I think the Jeff Walker style product launch is great. It works. It'll always work. Um, so there's nothing wrong with that as a model for selling. There's just a problem when, I think, when that is the sole method of selling in your business. At least it's a problem for Got me.
0: Not so everybody. You're, saying, you're saying it's it's the gravy, not the main dish.
1: For me, yeah, for, for me. But again, like, you go to Hollywood and you look at these Hollywood producers who they're all about the hit that that's yeah. that's what they're all about and they've made a very successful living off of that i don't have the stomach for it for the people who do i think it could be fine i mean i know people who that's what they want to do they want to go they want to do a big launch they want to make a bunch of money and they want to go sit on the yeah. beach for a, for a long time the problem comes though when you do that launch and it doesn't make what you hoped it would make Then you get into this vicious cycle of, oh, we need to do another one. We need to do another one. You keep going back to the well. You keep going back to the well. Each one becomes considerably less effective. You keep drawing against the brand equity that you've built, and eventually you're left with nothing, yeah right? Then you're Nicolas Cage. No offense, Nicolas Cage. (laughs) Although it's hard not to take offense to that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So- when you guys are doing the launches, you're doing it almost on top of the perpetual funnel that you've already built, and it's just an accelerant? Like It's using the same funnel, but then you're just getting a little bit more traffic, or how does that work?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, so it depends. I mean, it, if, if we come out with a totally new product, then we're going to launch it. Got it. I mean, we're going to come out with a totally new product, we're going to launch it, and if that launch goes well, then we'll perpetuate it. For the most part, when we do a launch for a new product for the first time, we launch it as a coaching program. Right. So we launch it as a coaching program, meaning there's some aspect of, you know, what we're doing now. Right. There's 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 some Q&A. There's webinars. There's more personal interaction. There's more involved, you know, from me. Whereas when it's perpetuated, the coaching portion is pulled out. Price doesn't change, but the coaching portion is pulled out. And so then when we come back and we do a relaunch. So, for example, we just did a relaunch, gosh, about two months ago of the machine coaching program. Right. Now you can go in and get the machine after you buy invisible selling, but you won't get the coaching portion of it. Whereas the people that bought two months ago, which is now closed, and 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 actually the coaching portion is is about to end as well, because we just are going through the eight week cycle. They got eight weeks of coaching, you know, with me, getting on webinars once a week and Richard talking about, okay, guys, so at this point you should be here, here, and here, and here's your homework. And all right, what are your questions? Right? Let's do office hours. You can you can get to me directly. The people who buy through the perpetual don't get that. And so that's how, another way that we distinguish between our launches and our perpetual ones. It's also how we're able to, to close a launch and have it actually close. I mean, the offer has definitely changed. The people that got in during that launch did get a better deal than the people that get in after unless you just don't care about the coaching portion.
0: Got it. And then final question, um, what would be your advice to someone thinking about doing a book to to use it for the purpose that you did for the back end and for growing your business?
1: Yeah, so I think if I were going back and doing it again and I, and I will do this, the next book that I write, I'm going to start it as a as a webinar. I found that a, you know, a 90 uh, minute to 2 hour long webinar is it wound up being about a 180 page book. So when you added some screenshots and, and, and examples and and stuff like that. So you can pad it up a little bit more and get it over 200 pages pretty easily, which is a, that's a good size book. I mean, that, that's a really great size. It's not so thick. I mean, people actually get through it, but it's a good, tight, concise, and, and this with, and that gives you an opportunity to test the titles and subtitles. Like I said, bullet points. So you're starting to build the collateral. And the thing is, if, if people ask a lot of questions, if the engagement's really high, if they're really excited about it, then great. If they're not, then it's probably not that great of a book, right? If 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 you think you have the most amazing title in the world and, and you do it as a webinar and nobody signs up, it ain't that great of a title, right? Sorry. It just, you missed. You got to be willing, but at least you found out now before you went and printed, you know, 10,000. Um, so... Uh, so so that's what i would do first i would do a webinar um, either either your have it transcribed but don't have that be as, as the structure as the starting point uh, either yourself or an editor you can you can have an editor go through and a, a ghostwriter uh, i I've, I've never had any luck with ghostwriters i I've, I've tried them over the years cuz i've always wanted a book i've never had a ghostwriter produce for me anything that was even remotely usable but when i was able to hand this transcript off now i had something that was cuz it was my words you know my thoughts i was able to say it in my way i was able to give my examples tell my stories and they were able to listen to that again and again and again and again and um you know like i said the structure was sound yeah. i opened with a with a story and and then i made a uh, i told what the result of the story was and i made a big promise and then i said okay let's keep going if you want to know how to get this promise let me tell you the steps that i did and then i walked through step by step by step by step and then at the end i took questions right and so then at the end of the book i Countered and overcame certain objections. You know, I mean, you could see how it really flows into the structure of a book very, very, very well. Uh, and so we took a fair bit of time, had a line editor go through and edit it, and I edited it myself. I mean, it's it still, there were still things that we missed, had a professional cover designed, did all the did all the stuff that we're supposed to, to do. Uh, and then we sent off for printing. Um, and we used Bang Press, B-A-N-G, Bang, is the company that we use to print our books, and they did a great job. Actually, I was turned on to them by, uh, by Tucker Max. If you know who Tucker is, Tucker, yeah. um, multiple New York Times bestselling author. And, and uh, on his last book, essentially went self published, still had to distribute it distributed through Simon and Schuster, but essentially self published. It's a fantastic story. You ought, to, you ought to Google that if you're interested in the whole self publishing concept, because he's really was, was one of the forerunners in this space. So, so Tucker turned me on to Bang, and then we had the books. Now, what I did is I, I shot a video of myself saying, you know, that, you know, making a very special offer for the book that became the sales page. And then the upsell, well, and I probably should have started here is what is the thing that you ultimately want to sell, right? So a book is not the end result. You got to have what the end result is going to be. And the book needs to flow from that. So since I had what the end result was going to be, I had the book, I ran a special offer, upsold the, the thing that i had that i knew worked well that i knew sold that i already had all the launch collateral all the sales collateral for it and so if somebody want to duplicate the process then i think that's basically uh, what what you do step 1 though is to have the thing at the end
0: absolutely awesome ryan well this has been a great interview i've really enjoyed uh, walking through this process and hearing the back end and hearing kind of just how you did it through a webinar and then the whole process from that so thank you for sharing and before we hop off here where can people go to find out more about you, more about the book? Uh,
1: so the book is at InvisibleSellingMachine.com. Uh, and that's also just an example if you want a, a page that you can model for kind of how to lay out a, a book offer page if you're if you're selling the book yourself. Um, and I would recommend, even if, even if you don't want to buy the book, click on the order page and go to the order form and then go to leave. You need to typically be on the order form for, I think, five or ten seconds because we don't have our exit pops trigger immediately. We only want them to trigger for people who've actually engaged for a little bit. But if you go to the order form um, and hang around for five or 10 seconds, and then you go to leave, you go to basically to mouse up, you'll see that exit pop that then sends people over to Amazon. That was a biggie. That was Richard Linder's idea. Give him all the credit for that. He's the president of Digital Marketer. And that was his idea. And that was great. We had a lot of sales every single day from Amazon, uh, from people leaving our order form saying, oh, I don't know. Oh, it's on Amazon. We also get people who click the link saying, no, it, it's fine. I'll go back and order it from you. Because people say, "Oh, knowing it's available on Amazon is helpful," ah. so I'll order from you. So we kind of get a little double there. So I, I would definitely go. I would go to InvisibleSellingMachine.com if nothing else, just see that cool little tip, and also just the structure of the offer. Just don't knock it off word for word, please. Um, that happens from time to time. Please don't be one of those people. Uh, and then for me, I mean, just DigitalMarketer.com is my. Uh, is where, you know, I get to talk about marketing with all my friends at Digital Marketer. So awesome. those
0: places. Ryan, thanks, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of the Self-Publishing School Podcast. I know there's so many places that you can be spending your time. There's other podcasts that you can be listening to, YouTube channels that you'd be watching. Uh, so thank you so much at means the World. Now, I want you to do three things right now if you found this episode All right, number one, I don't know if you know this, but we've got a YouTube channel. It's a companion channel to this podcast. All the video versions of the episode are on the YouTube channel. So number one, subscribe to the YouTube channel.